Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome, OT entrepreneurs, to the OT's Get Paid podcast, episode 77. Today is part two of our productivity series when we're diving into a case study with a fellow OT entrepreneur. She's going to be our case study. She's opening up how she stays calm (laughs) and productive. I want to give a reminder to those of you who are listening to our productivity series. If you haven't already, please start with episode 76. You are going to hear that this productivity series is different. We are having nuanced discussions around productivity around here. We are not celebrating hustle culture. Mm-mm. We are not celebrating burnout. No, ma'am. We are protecting your gift as a giver, as a therapist, And as a woman or somebody who identifies with that female experience, we are in a unique position to protect your assets. I want to remind you, one of our pillars here at OTs Get Paid is clarity. And without clarity, you remain overwhelmed. And we are going to help you shift from overwhelm into an organized place and a place of, dare I say it, peace as an OT business owner. Today's episode came about in a fun way. The following guest and I connected. She connected with me to learn more about my services about mm, almost a year ago. She was finishing up some postdoc studies and said she would circle back. We actually agreed to circle back and I circled back to her. And I want to make sure that that is understood because that is something I talk about in other lessons about your next lead is right in front of you. And that is so many of us think we need more traffic when you already have leads. And it's great to circle back to them and say, hey, how is it going? We had discussed working together. Is now the right time? And that's what I did with this next guest. And her email reply took me by surprise. I am doing great, she said. 
And then she went on to tell me the list of things that she was doing weekly. And I'm going to quote her here. Trish, I have found a lovely mix of management consultancy, professional development courses, and clinical supervision. I think I am lucky to have found my niche and segmented my work into different categories so that it suits me and my life. This is a typical OT entrepreneur in that she has more than one offer, more than one focus. You know I'm not a huge proponent of that. And yet, this person has leaned into this and is doing it very well. To which I replied, how do you do this? I remain curious and open. I'm thrilled things are going well for her and I want to know, how is this happening? Again, she replies and I quote, I'm such a nerd. Trish. I try to block specific days for certain pieces of work. For example, Monday is my professional development time. Or I block book weeks and then plan a quiet week. It's not perfect, but I'm getting back at it. I'm always encouraging other OTs to be strategic about their time. Well, you know what my reply was. Would you come on the podcast to discuss this? And indeed, she did. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Anya Odie. I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Odie. She was the first occupational therapist in Ireland to be awarded the prestigious Sphere PhD scholarship, which is Structured Population and Health Services Research Education from the HRB, which is the Health Research Board. Not only did she complete her doctoral studies in the area of DCD with a focus on interventions and best practices to improve inclusion and participation, as a part of her PhD program, Dr. O'Dee completed a post-grad diploma in population health and health services. She is determined to help others translate knowledge into practice, and she does this through premium consultancy and supervision services. She's very supportive of professional development, policy implementation, and evidence-based clinical practice. And she is our guest today. Welcome, Dr. Anya Odie. Anya, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Trish. I am truly delighted to be here. I really am. I have a mix of excitement because this is the first podcast that I've been on where I've been the interviewee, and I'm also exceedingly nervous. Okay. Well, you know that you are speaking to friends. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's, the OT community is a lovely community. It really, really is. I have not ever received one negative piece of feedback on this podcast ever, and I oh. truly feel as though... Even though I'm sitting in Studio C, which you can see is truly indeed my bedroom closet, that I don't know. I feel like it's a real conversation, even though it's not happening in real time, so to speak. And I definitely have that sense when I listen to your podcast episodes, because I always listen to them driving and I have a particular route that I listen <laughs> to when I'm driving them. There's like one route that I do, which is about an hour and a half. And I feel like I'm in the car with a few OTs. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lovely. Good. Well, good. Then that's who you are today. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. So please start us out. Tell us how you get paid, meaning tell everybody about yourself and what do you do? 
So I am obviously an occupational therapist and I've been an occupational therapist for a long time, a couple of decades. But in the last two years only, um, less than two years, 20 months, I have set up my own company, which is called Radiance Consulting. And I get paid by three different strands of work. So I provide clinical supervision to occupational therapists. I also provide management coaching slash supervision and management consultancy and professional development courses. So they're the main, the three main strands of my business of how I actually get paid. And they've evolved, Trish, over time. Um, so even though I say the company's only started within the last 20 months, really the clinical supervision piece started way back in 2012. And that was my first side hustle. That was my first entry into something that I niched out into on a very, very small scale and realized I really like this. And then it has evolved over the years to a point now of where I've such clarity around it now because I've done a lot of other training. Like I've done a postgraduate um, training in clinical supervision. I've contributed to um, three chapters to a book that's just coming out next month for OTs on clinical supervision. But it really has, this isn't like something that was like an overnight, you know, yeah. success of like that. I ended up in this market space of providing clinical supervision. The business has grown organically over time in the last 10 years and very slowly. And then from the clinical supervision piece, there was an evolution there as well with regard to the management coaching and consultancy, because I kind of evolved into it. It was like a net step to grow into and for development for me and kind of like look to the next bit. I get bored a bit if I do the same <laughs> thing for too long. Like a lot of OTs do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that has evolved in the last two years. And then the professional development piece, like honestly, during the PhD, I was like, well, now post PhD, I'm going to provide online development courses and this is going to be so innovative. And then COVID hit. <laughs> And it was like, oh, well, that's scuppers that business idea because actually now everybody's doing it and actually everybody's really bored of it and don't want to see another online course. So it's getting into the like 10s and 20s and 30s of billions of dollar industry. Like I know people don't want yeah. another course, but it's not going anywhere. I saw it as a statistic from like U.S. News and Report. They talk a lot about universities and colleges in the United okay. States and how enrollment has dropped. Ah, but I can see that so clearly from the courses that I develop, because anything that I develop that's face to face or live, people's first question is, is this recorded yeah. um, or is this going to be online? So whilst there, I, I, I know exactly what you mean, but I think it was just that funny bit of like, you know, you have this yeah, great no big, I like, I had such a good plan and that kind of fell out of the water. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, so, and, but that's what I do now. Very mm -hmm. similar to how many OTs build their businesses. I'm really glad to hear that you mentioned that organic piece. I'm curious if there is a common thread 
because those would be three different offers, right? Three different core business processes. Is there a common thread in terms of like the outcomes you're trying to get with people or the skill set that you use or a typical client? Absolutely. No, there's a very clear thread for me anyway. The real clear thread for me is that actually for allied health professions that are working clinically or in management, it's all about that piece of supporting people to work in an evidence informed way that supports services, population health and the end user clients that we see. And I think that's the piece that I'm really passionate about is enhancing. It sounds so cheesy, but actually really enhancing people's advanced reasoning and professional knowledge and application into practice. Because like for me, one of the big bits really like that really hit home when I was completing my PhD. So I would have looked a lot at like complex intervention and in um, my PhD was all about enhancing participation outcomes for children with developmental coordination disorder, dyspraxia. But it was very broad because it was actually a PhD in population health and health services research. And the statistics around um, knowledge translation or like implementation are shocking like the the lag there between actually when we acquire knowledge and when we actually implement that knowledge and we actually do it. And that was the bit for me that always stood out because I could read this in the research and then I was still seeing people come to me in supervision. And I would tell them something about the research, like, oh, I read this paper and here's what it said and this is how you could do it. And we'd have these lovely chats and then they would go off and try some bits of it or implement it and come back and tell me in supervision again. And I was like, there's a real gap here, like in the literature around actually implementation. And I think OTs are very good at it because we're really natural problem solvers mm -hmm. and actually very good at like tailoring interventions for clients. So I think I didn't realize at the time that I was tailoring my supervision to give them the core pieces of knowledge that they wanted when they came for supervision and reflection and via coaching and that, and then supporting them to problem solve. Well, now how do I implement this? How, what does this look like in my context, in my service, be that private or public health? And that's the bit that I really provide for management consultancy, because the majority of my management consultancy work is with healthcare leaders. So I really am passionate about that bit of like not just enhancing services for, you know, greater efficiency and more numbers coming through when bringing down wait lists. My perspective is that actually they get a high quality service yeah. that will enhance their outcomes. And then managers, no matter what their background, they need to know the knowledge as much as the clinician on the ground. So for me, it's very much that evidence informed lens really comes through those two pieces. And then again, into the professional development course I do, because like I definitely am slow to develop courses because I could be mean to myself and say I overthink it and I probably do a bit. But also, I want to make sure that it's the best course. Like, have I actually definitely read enough articles to make sure that this is going to be valuable? And can I discuss it so that somebody can translate it into their context? Can I support implementation? So for me, they're the, the real strengths that come across all three of them. 
Wow. Well, you you are going, you listener, not you, Anya, you listener are going to be able to tell the difference in our conversation today between who has a PhD and who does not. <laughs> because I don't say anything that eloquently or in that kind of academic language. However, I am oh. nodding vehemently. So I actually like this didactic, Anya. It's like we've got the yeah. post-PhD brain and then we've got like the Trish filter for the person on the ground. So I have a question. I'm asking you this real time. We weren't mm. planning on talking about knowledge transference and implementation, but I actually actually want to tell you something that I'm doing and maybe you can tell me if it's right. Based Go for it. On your P okay. So... I'm making a link here that might not be accurate. And again, fully vulnerable. You were nervous. Now I'm nervous because I'm literally telling you okay. something I'm doing. I agree. And one of the things that's been nice about this year for me repeating. So I started off like a lot of people in consultancy one-on-one -on -one, and I learned mm -hmm. so much. And I was also my ideal client, right? As I was trying to, you know, grow my bricks and mortar and then all mine. So everything I've learned was from my own research and then my own experience. Then I did a years of one-on-one -on -one and then I developed two signature courses. And I'm rinsing and repeating them this year. And what I have found was that exact thing. Now, I do not have the pretty, you know, academic way of saying it. I have the Trish way of saying it. Yeah. And what I have... Hey, Trish. Yes, Ashley? As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay. So where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. Found on the rinse and repeat is that I've been doubling down on the customer service and support piece during the program. And what I mean by that is I have even more notes than I ever had on each client. I have more notes because my, my program is sequential. It's not a free-for-all at this point. It's not a just open it up and go. It's like module one, lesson one, lesson two, lesson three. We have a syllabus. You know, mm -hmm. we have weekly group coaching calls. And the the amount of times that I'm checking in, both about the program and about their understanding of the last lesson. And it's not just in a group way. It's like individual coaching emails. I saw that you were working on this, this, and this. I heard in the last call that you've been struggling with this. Here's where I recommend you go next. And is that right? Oh, that's just music to my ears. Because oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to get very nerdy here now for a second, Please. right? So... I was extremely lucky to complete the PhD that I completed. I was the first OT in Ireland to get a place on the programme. It's a national programme called a PhD in Structured PhD in Population Health and Health Services Research. And I loved it. I mean, I am a nerd. I know it, yeah. but I loved it. 
I mean, at times I thought my brain would fall out because I was just like, I don't think I can take in any more information. Mm-hmm. Like I'm learning, like, and I also had huge imposter syndrome because I was an OT and so many of my colleagues, I perceived at the time that they were better than me. But actually, I think that's probably a bit of like OT, there's such a thing called as OT syndrome, that we don't <laughs> value ourselves enough. You can write a and PhD I, on that next. Yeah, and I kind of thought, oh, well, they're pharmacists and they know so much about like statistics or healthy, like my health economist colleague or my colleague who was uh, an epidemiologist. I was like, oh my gosh. But actually what I really learned was because we did as a group study a lot around complex intervention. And at the start, it was really intimidating because it's not something that we really talk about in depth in OT. And the definition of a complex intervention is that it is a multi-component intervention with different outcomes for different stakeholders. Okay, so we're very comfortable in terms of drugs. So like drug A will target your diabetes. Another component will be put in there then to prevent like retinal issues okay something then you will receive education around how to administer that so there's different components there and as ot's i was like at the start i was like how do we even define our our interventions so i had to do a lot of reading around complex interventions and a lot of reading around what does this mean for ot and it's really evolving new research in the ot space and then as I did that, then I started looking into well, which, OT, which interventions are effective. So what we do know about the most effective interventions and not just in OT, but in allied health professionals, right, is that they are tailored. So that's exactly what you're describing. They're tailored intervention. You're saying to people, I noticed that you were focusing on this. So you're tailoring it to their goals, their needs, their challenges, realistic. So you're kind of saying you were working on this last week. So you've broken down into modules, a syllabus. This is what we do. It's broken down into chunks, realistic chunks of what's actually doable in a week. Then it is feasible. So it's like the bit that makes it feasible is that Trish comes on. And actually, when rather than people getting stuck and going, what do I do? It's now so like all of those clinical skills were so transferable in other realms of like consultancy in marketing and anything like that because actually we really get what it means to make an intervention tailored realistic feasible individualized and that's the components that will actually allow for like people to achieve strategic goals and outcomes so yeah i'm like your program sounds brilliant well, thank you. It wasn't truly an opportunity to plug it. It was, I have an expert in front of me and I'm going <laughs> to grab a question as well. And, yeah. you know, I am thinking of people that are driving in the car. I hear a lot of that and I hear people on walks as well. Some people listen to it in their kitchen when they're doing chores, but those are yeah. the three most popular places I'm hearing. And I hope that as you listen to Anya and you think about your interventions and what you are giving your OT clients, it's tailored, realistic, feasible, and individualized. And I bet, I bet it is. What I love most about learning about this profession is that what we're doing, whether we know it from a cognitive level or it's like an intuitive level, when somebody can put structure around that and say, well, here, yes, of course, you're already doing this. 
It is because that's the bit that just changed my perspective completely. Mm. Because rather than thinking about this like OT intervention and then naming things like an OT consult and Mm. that are all very like, you know, wishy-washy. What does that mean? What did you do in an OT consult? But it really helps people to be much more productive because they can value each component of the intervention. And rather than thinking I have to do everything in one go, like so I see the child and I have to talk to the parent and give recommendations and then I have to fit in the school piece as well. Now it's like, oh, hang on a minute here. What are the multiple components? When will you deliver each one of those components? Which outcome is for which stakeholder? And which one is the priority outcome? So it helps people to even streamline their interventions in a more productive, efficient way thinking about, well, actually, you have to take the the tablet that's going to help to line your stomach, first of all, so that you don't feel sick for the day before you take the next medication. So it's even thinking about, and that was the bit around complex intervention of learning from people outside of OT, of like thinking about, okay, so when should you deliver this intervention? Mm-hmm. Rather than thinking like, I've got a really funny example of like, it's not funny, actually. Somebody said to me once of saying that, um, an amazing business owner and she was telling me how um yeah like I literally am talking to them in the car park and I was like okay great that you are they're getting the absolute best of you but do they even want to hear you in the car park at that point they were just trying to get into their car and it was brilliant to have those conversations around well would you take the drug from the doctor if they were outside in the car park telling you about it would you trust them would you you know how would that come across like you want it in a consultation so for me i love that bit of the training has helped me to formulate and structure and try and just manualize it a little bit a little bit not too much but mm-hmm. yeah wrap it up a bit well again we've heard the anya sophisticated way and then the trish brain comes in and thinks to myself I hope people are realizing as they listen to this and what value OTs deliver and please price yourself accordingly <laughs> because there's a lot to that, right? And I, you know, I spent years on the floor, so I had to do it in two ways. As a clinician in pediatrics, I'm not just playing with Play-Doh. Like I know all you peds people out there are thinking the same thing. Like I'm not just playing mom and dad. I'm going to yeah. give you the activity analysis to this, why it's so important. And in addition, as a clinic owner, I basically had to explain the value of this piece, right, without Mm -hmm. having these exact words. So I love it in the sense that it has now, I hope, reminded everybody out there that how much thinking and planning, et cetera, goes into the knowledge transference to your clients. Absolutely. And like, that's one of the bits, because like, it's really like there's a bit of me when you say they're in the sophisticated academic way, I'm like, Oh no, that's not me. Oh, like, I well, thank I'm you. I'm still an OT. Like, oh, I'm I know, and like, I, I appreciate it. I'm I just, with... I feel it's a bit of like a before and after. Like, there's the Anya way of saying yeah. it, and then there's the Trish way of saying it. I don't mean to be so derogatory. Yeah. I mean, no, no, no. And I think it's just that I don't see myself as, I don't see myself having had loads of knowledge. I think I get really excited about it yeah, too. <laughs> and want to share it because I think if everybody can articulators like this and know what we're doing, then we won't struggle to explain what OTs do. Then we'll never again say, I'm just doing a consultation. 
you're never again you say, you say would you like to book in for a coaching appointment where we can discuss all the pieces that will support your child in the way that will work for you at home you know rather than oh do you do you want to book in for a consultation kind of underplaying it and trying to sell it it's like no 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 we've got very valuable information that we can provide in multiple different ways. We can share it with you. We can help to coach you and problem solve it and use coaching skills. So let's do that in a very structured way so that it's really beneficial for you. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I, I'm glad we took a left turn. That's the nice thing about having your own podcast yeah. is you can take some really fun turns. And I felt the... um I felt the shared excitement of the geekiness coming over us, yeah. so I needed to keep going. So those of you ah, thanks, who loved Trish. it, like, enjoy it. And the rest of you, you could, you know, now now you can listen into some more of the typical business questions. I took notes, by the way. I don't know if anybody else did, but not when you're driving your car. Okay, so tell me about your numbers. People are always interested in hearing as much as you want to share in terms of, like, some of those income and impact goals that you have for your company this this year and going forward? This was a brilliant question, Trish, when I knew this was coming, because obviously <laughs> part of me was terrified because I've heard you ask this question to loads yeah. of other people and I was yeah. like, oh, I don't I want to say this. And, then, and yet I coach other people all the time and ask them. So I was like, Anya, walk the walk. So for my piece of it, it made me really sit back and evaluate what do I want for like what, what I've made this year and what do I want for next year? So my goal for this year was I only set up the company in 2020 and went in at the start of COVID, not having a clue, would I just make ends meet and it'd be fine. So that was my goal for 2020. For 2021, I wanted to make the same amount as an allied health manager. So my go a typical allied health manager would make like 69, 70, anywhere up to 70, 75,000, which is probably, I had just worked this out on what was it in Canadian dollars. It's about 94,000 Canadian. people listening use, use USD that are listening. You know, here's an ignorant question. Does Ireland use the euro? Yes. Okay, yeah. good. Phew. So, so we're okay. Euro. Um, so yeah, so my goal was like around, I was like, if I make 70,000 euros this year, I was like, yep, ching you have made it on you. I was like, that is how much you would make in the public sector as a manager. And I was like, great. So as a mid-level manager, yep. you know, which would be a good position. So that was my goal. And I hit it in September. Okay. I was like, oh, yes, brilliant, like brilliant. And I was like, it's great. So then it made me step back and think, what do I want for next year? Do I want to set the same goal or do I want to reevaluate? And it made me step back and think because I took, this is the first year in 10 years that I took five weeks off over the summer. Good. And it was phenomenal and it made me think, right, okay, actually, I really like having this nice work-life balance. And my values, whilst I do want to earn good money, I also really value the stage of life that I'm at now. So I was like, actually for 2023, my target goal is potentially less 
than 70,000. Okay, which to some people this may not be what like we often talk about, but I thought about but what do I want? So I want to take another five weeks off next summer. I am definitely doing that again. And it's made me book in that like we've got a week's holiday coming up now for Halloween and for Christmas and for Easter. So that I'm taking these really clear periods of downtime for me because in between them, I work really hard, like Beautiful. really hard. I also like this year and last year, especially 2021, I worked a lot of nights, like yeah. a lot of evenings. And that's probably why, you know, business has grown so quickly and really well. And that's all brilliant. But I don't want to keep sustaining that. I want to pull back from that really quickly because I know I'll just get sucked into it. And I, I'm that personality type that will overwork if you me let too. me. So since September, I've been really strict with myself. Unless it's something like that I have to do at nighttime that, you know, I'm coordinating like we'll say like with you work hours or I do some I'm part of the occupational performance coaching train the trainers group as well. And that's typically at nighttime. But unless it's those kind of pieces of work where I'm coordinating with international people, I turn off the laptop and I don't come back up to the office. So that's been huge for me and that's really influencing my income goals for next year because next year I want to focus a lot more on development so I'm actually going to pull back and maybe earn less but I want to put time into more development work as well and I have also realized I'm okay with that I'm okay with that if I earn around 60 to 70,000 that's phenomenal that's brilliant you know I'm more than happy with that. 60,000 would be wonderful. And I get a really good work-life balance. Yes. Thank you for being so clear. I heard two things. And I often do this to translate it into biznob language, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing two things, that you have a piece of your world that is still time for money. Additionally, you're getting into a sophisticated way of talking about being in the fulfillment role and the CEO role, which is there are times where you do need to do more behind the scenes, more like less in fulfillment. And I have been there. I took so same, same. I took time off this summer, which was strict time off. And additionally, I had my team move on to other things. So I'm coming back getting new people in the team positions and working on development as well. And I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And that's part of the cadence of what, and we're going to get into productivity next. That's part of the cadence of when you're wearing so many hats, when you're in fulfillment and in marketing and in operations and in sales and still trying to grow this business with your CEO hat, to constantly be in fulfillment mode can be really challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm nodding away here because I, for me, fulfillment mode is clinical supervision. I mean, I love it. There's a bit of a grow up grow as an Irish word for love. It's passion, like, right. And I have a real, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking with other OTs. I enjoy that coaching, mentoring, supervision piece. I love when people walk away with new knowledge and how they're going to implement it and they feel inspired and passionate. But I know that I can't keep going at that level of it. 
And one of the really interesting pieces that made me sit down and do it was when I filled out your quiz. Because one of the questions is like, it's around what's the proportion of time that you spend? I haven't got the right question here. In okay, your zone of genius. But it's about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like, you know, there's a piece there and it made me, I think I actually hit pause. Like I was there thinking about the question going, well, I was like, um, I don't think Trish gives enough options for this, you know? <laughs> They're editing the question, right? Okay. You're the second person that's publicly <laughs> told me on this podcast as I'm starting to talk more about the quiz on the podcast. They literally were like, I would like, they said the exact same thing. And I thought, are you saying my tool is not a sensitive enough measure? Like, they were like, could we have more than three answers? I'm like, it's a quiz. <laughs> exactly. And you know what it made me think? It's like, Anya, you're trying to cheat the quiz. Oh my you're God, trying to cheat. So true. Like, because that's the only reason that you want the Likert scale of one to five, because you can kind of squeeze in at about two and a half slash three. Oh, OTs, we are so funny. Yeah. And then it made me go, so what is the proportion here? And then I was like, okay. So I was starting out and I was like, oh no, management consultants is only about 20% of my work. Like that's not that much. And then I had a quick look at my diary across the year and I was like, oh no, it's not actually, that's two days a week work. So that actually is 40%. And then I was like, so, and then I was looking on clinical supervision is definitely three days a week. So that's 60%. And I was like, oh, so where exactly do you do the professional development on? And I was sitting there with my coffee thinking, oh, yeah, I know exactly how I do it. Like I, I have this bit of like where I'll just book out like and I'll go two weeks flat on like the development of something, which is not a good model at all like because it's just like intense you know like it's nearly like factory shutdown <laughs> mm-hmm. and I do that piece right but it was brilliant because the quiz really got me thinking about that piece of, of I'm I've been really happy in the last year and I was like but that's okay I think for me finishing the PhD there's been a lovely sense of going actually, no, I just want a good year of just pure fulfillment. (laughs) You know, I've actually, I was like, it's okay not to feel the pressure to grow. (laughs) Because I think that was a constant pressure during the PhD was like growth in knowledge, growth in academic writing skills, growth in like delivery of it and knowledge translation. It's like, you're like, I don't think I can grow anymore. I'm only five foot two and three quarters. And I was like, so, but your quiz made me, I talk about reflection on like those questions that push you a bit, but then push you to the other bit to nearly self-coach yourself to go, it's okay to be in fulfillment until you're ready to step out of it. And next year, I'm ready to step out of fulfillment a little bit. I'm just going to pull back a little bit. And I'm like, and that's why I'm happy to take potentially a bit of a income like it'll shift and it might be lower, but I'm like, that's okay. I still want to do the fulfillment yes. stuff and I'm just going to pull back a little bit. So, oh, and I've so been good. really procrastinating about planning my diary for next year. And I know I need to just pull out the finger and do it. <laughs> that is true. So I do want to quickly let people know what that question was. So in the OTs get paid quiz, we follow the three pillars in order to become a get paid peep. We need to have increased profit, increased clarity, and increased impact. And one of the questions around increasing impact has to do with 
how much time do you spend in your zone of genius? And the research shows that the ideal for a CEO that's clicking on all cylinders to be at 80% in their zone of genius. And so this is where on you. And I think that, so that was one of the options. One of the options was, I think, like between 60 and 80 and anything mm -hmm. else was like 60 and below. And so again, this is part of how we sort out your score, whether you're, you know, in the start, grow or scale phase. So underpaid therapist with a business, feast and famine business owner and money to spare CEO. And so you are in the feast and famine business owner, you're in the grow phase, which is exactly what you said you were. And please refer back to a podcast I did um, with Hélène Theriot. And we talked about the, it actually hasn't been released yet since you and I are recording this, but by the time yours goes out, it will have been released, where I actually talk about building a roadmap visually and I have been toying in Canva, and I am not a Canva person, but I have an idea in my head, and I'd like to see if there's a template out there that fits it. Again, with like Road to 100K, it's all, we're playing with the same themes, right? Start, grow, and scale, and Road to 100K, 100K Club, et cetera. And it's a mountain. And then after a few weeks, a few, yeah, maybe a week of looking at this, I was like, mm-mm, I don't want it to be a mountain. I'm happy with it being a road. I'm happy with it being like, you know, some undulating hills. But I think, you know, you've talked about it, like the more that we double down on this conversation, the more that I'm hearing people, it's funny because like I am such a growth person. I'm an Enneagram three. I'm like a go, go, go. And I also am an OT. And I think there's a, very, a real commonality. There's not a ton of OTs that just constantly have their foot on the gas. Like you might find in like, man I'll, okay i'll say it out loud like a physio bro culture like that's not exactly who we are so and i and i need to still capture solving people's problems in my job without being like go go push push do do right so it's very interesting so thank you for bringing that up and I agree that sitting down, part of one of the pillars for increasing clarity is strategic planning. And I agree, sometimes it's really hard, especially when you are in more of a uh, less of a foot on the gas kind of mood, right? So all I can say to you is when you open it up, just make sure your goals are reflecting that. There's lots of levers you can move in your business that aren't necessarily about like profit, profit. I mean, gross. You could even increase your profit margin. You could find out what your profit margin is. Right, you could find out how to Absolutely. how to actually double down on your bestseller and spend less time. Like, there's ways of doing it. There's ways of answering important questions to you that just don't involve all your time and all this mountainous. So, those my little two cents. I uh, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I love how this is going, and yet here's the irony. <laughs> this is actually the part of the series of productivity. Now, maybe maybe we are the only profession in the world that's going to start a conversation. The meat of this is about how Anya does so much. And she's a great example of, you know, somebody that has lots and lots and lots of things on their plate. And I want to have her open up her brain and share how she does this in a productive way. So again, a reminder, we are not like, Again, I'll say it. I'm just going to go there. Like physio OT bros in Europe and Canada. We say physio in other places. It's PTs, physical therapists. So this productivity series is not about like do more, do more, more checklists, more of this. It's, that's not the tone of where we're coming from. And yet we have two 
big assets. And one of them is time and one of them is money. So let's talk, Anya, and here's my question. How do you get so much done without working 60, 70, 80s hours a week. I know you work nights and I know you're closing your computer, but you have you have said to me, I'm actually really good at being productive. So let's hear what that means to How you. How I do it. Oh, and I suppose like, okay, so to nearly caveat this for anybody who's listening, I, I know I refer back to the PhD a lot and to, and I suppose before I did my PhD, I did my master's um, and I did my master's when I say before my daughter was born, I mean, literally before she was born. So I graduated three weeks before she was born, oh uh, maybe two and a half even. <laughs> it's a blur. It's, it's, a, a, blur. it's a blur. But it was all fine. And I think if I'm really honest, I I think it's part of my personality type. Right. OK, I, I definitely see I'm. When I put my mind to something, I'm really focused on it. It's like, no, I'm going to do that. Like, I will get there. Like, and I've realized over the last number of years, and this is a bit of like being an OT and also having lots of other interests. We are really good at identifying different problems. So sometimes I look at my work and say, and kind of like, instead of different problems, and like, for me, I can never use the language of like thinking about my business and services in terms of products or programs because that language just doesn't fit for me. Yeah. So I'll often think about it and okay, what's the core issue here? Like what's the core pro problem that I want to look at, right? Okay, how much clinical supervision can I deliver? How many online tree courses can I develop? How much? So one thing that I do a lot I'm very clear on my week and my fortnight and my month and then my three months. So in a week, I know that two of my days are blocked out for very clearly. One day is really clearly management consultancy. And then I have a second day as well that's flexible that can come in there. I started out at the start of this year being like, OK, Monday is going to be my professional development day. That didn't work out for me because I took on and finished out the postgraduate in clinical supervision. So it kind of was professional development, but, you know, other things crept in there. And I was really conscious of that, that that was supposed to be my day. So that's that goal is going to roll over into 2023. So I really try and break down my week. I break it down into days. I break it down into um, I try to block book stable pieces of work. So my clients that I work with for supervision, I will say to them very clearly at the start of the year, can we book this in? Because then I know that you are they're in my diary, they're guaranteed a slot. Nothing else will take precedence over that. So it helps me to make sure that I give my customers a good high quality service, but also then I know then where I can structure my work better. So I really do that piece of like structuring work. When you were saying about Canva, this is quite tragic. I like a good old Gantt chart. I um, so I love a good Gantt chart for being able to see like, OK, what am I going to be doing? And I love a good Excel sheet. Mm -hmm. So I don't use them in an extremely structured way. They're more like nearly this is the OT and me. They're all tools that help me to visualize 
what have I got? So like I'll have an Excel sheet with all my clients for next year so I can see my database kind of of work. But then I'll also have a Gantt chart then of the things I want to do. So it gives it to me in different visuals. I also have my notebook where I write things down and then I have my online diary. So they're all tools that really help me to be more productive. But for me, the ultimate aim is always trying to decide on nearly like the Ford factory. What are the bits that are on the process line that just keep happening? You know when they're going to do, you don't have to think about it. Because for me, I find, and when I talk to other people, I know it's one of the things that really influences productivity is this ad hoc booking, you know, like that you're taking clients ad hoc and that they can book in when they want like you know because then even if it's a half day it means that actually in that half day you can't really get your head into a zone of thinking or following up or reading or emailing because actually you break it with a client so i'm really passionate about that bit of like if you can block book and chunk works then you can chunk it for your brain as well and you can automate it for your brain that you don't have to think about when you're doing that. You're just doing that every Wednesday. That's what you do on a Wednesday. That's what you do on a Friday. That's what you do on a Thursday. So that helps me to be much more productive. Um, so there I want to stop you there because yeah. I, I love this. By the way, there's a sound in the background and it might be the rain. So it's okay. Don't worry. Yeah, I can hear it. No, no, no. Apologize for it. I just want our listener to know you are in Ireland after all. Yeah. (laughs) And it is the weather is like early, early winter, late, late fall. So if you hear that noise, we're not going to be able to cut it out. I just wanted the listener to know. So there's no apologies about where you live. Hmm. I'm sitting here in a closet with a towel around my legs because it's freezing in Calgary. I, you know, we do what we do. I love this. So I wanted to actually interject with a few category ideas that I have been playing with. So you have talked about, you know, blocking out and I wrote kind of per theme. So there's so many different categories that I play with and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Some days, well, there's always that CEO, you know, reflection time. Some days I develop to fulfillment. Now, if you are in full-time fulfillment, that might be harder. I tend to try to block days for when it's like client intervention, fulfillment type pieces. There's other days where I think about marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. There are other days where I, in fact, Tuesdays are podcast days. And that is not just recording, but it is show notes, writing the emails, looking at the calendar, what's coming up, looking at, you know, what we're marketing and selling and making sure, like Tuesday is just full on podcast day because I like to stay, well, and you can tell by the way I'm dressed today, (laughs) there's nothing camera facing other than my delightful conversation with you. You know, other things that I've been playing around with and I'm teaching in 100K Club this time is tasks versus projects. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. Okay, tell me how you handle that. Because you can get sucked into tasks, can annihilate and... Okay, so one of the bits for me is... by tasks, not death death by by taxes. We've recreated a new one. Yeah, and also, so think about it from a brain perspective, right, okay? If you start tasks first thing in the morning, when you Mm -hmm. are... So I think one of the things that helps me to be productive is actually my knowledge of my health 
knowledge and especially around like brain development, child development, adult learning, those pieces. So if you start a task in the morning, that is the golden time for your brain. Like you are most alert, the hippocampus, you've had a good night's sleep, hopefully, and the hippocampus is ready to take on new learning at that point, right? Okay. So for me, this is the way of looking at it's going that you should never be looking at emails or mundane tasks early in the morning because actually if you really look at it, those emails don't actually warrant that because it's typical responses following up, checking out, linking. It's the, the, the tasks that have to be done, but they do not need high level thinking, reasoning, processing skills. So I pretty much ban myself from doing tasks in the morning or else I will flip the other way. Right. OK. So what I tend to do is by Friday when I'm tired, I will often schedule I kind of my task days are Mondays and Fridays. OK, like all of that kind of piece falls in there. Mondays, I'll do much more of the high level thinking project day with maybe a bit of task thrown in at the end. OK, Friday is a task day because I'm sluggish. I'm a bit tired. I've had a long week. I might have been traveling. So tasks should be sorted to the section of the day when you're having a slump so that you literally do them then or else you're really strategic about it and you say I'm giving it two hours in the morning I will answer as many emails as I can get through before 11 and then for me I have to make sure though that I've booked something else into my diary so even if that is like a creation of something on Canva or development of something I will actually put that in as a project in my diary and map it out like as in that has to be done. Like I have a piece of work coming up for our next journal club and it's development work because it's reading around the papers that we're needing. And I have that scheduled for Thursday. I have three hours booked out between 11 and I think actually no, only two and a half. But I have two hours chunked out that's like that's when you're doing it. So. I'm a real believer in if you can chunk tasks to and be conscious of when you're doing them, that actually they're not getting the best of you and that you're just more efficient about it. I agree. I have heard from some people that their better times are in the evening. I don't know how they possibly do that. I think if the phone rings after six, I think that somebody must be dead. <laughs> I'm at that age of my life now. I'm 52. Whereas if the phone rings after, I'm not even kidding. Like six or 6.30, I'm like, it's horrible news. Granted, I'm an empty nester. I no longer have a second shift. My life is different. That said, I will add a little piece to that. And then we can talk more about mm. um, like... I hate to call them tips and tricks, but this is this is kind of what, what this is about, is I actually, I always have a midday slump, always, because I'm a morning brain woman. Mm -hmm. And same, same with me, Friday afternoons. I've, I flirt with taking Friday afternoons off or having them tasks. And the tasks that I find soothing are actually looking at our metrics, looking at do, tracking data. Like I actually find that very soothing on a Friday. Yeah. And interestingly though, one of the hacks I have found for my afternoon slump is to put something client facing on my schedule. Not every day, but you know, yeah. podcast days, I tend to do it later in the morning and later in the afternoon because I can rise to that occasion like nobody's business. Now, after this, 
I will probably, because I've actually recorded more than one today, I will still be in slumpy time. And therefore, I am not going to look at writing those emails yet. I'm going to sketch them out. The show notes are no problem. I can do those pretty quickly. But then I've scheduled a little break because I've been going and I'm going to, you know, get out of the house and go on a walk, etc. And if I feel up to it again, I have no family at home. It's just me. So I have no second shift kids. I can have popcorn for dinner. I may write emails later tonight if I feel like it or not. But there is that kind of work with what you've got. And I know that there's people, and listen, I remember the days of just being all in fulfillment and truly not having any time whatsoever to even close my door of my office at the clinic to even listen to a podcast like this. Like I know that there's people that are like, this is not reasonable for me. And yet there is another theme that I'm hearing from what you're talking about, Anya, is, and I talk about this all the time, is that proactive versus reactive. And there is a discipline, unfortunately, that is required by that. And so, you know, I bet I, I mean... I could easily check my email six times a day if I let myself or more, right? Oh, so easily. The discipline that's required because not not everything is an emergency. Listen, as a parent of young adults and teenagers, I try to tell them that because they both live on opposite sides of the country and they text me, mom, mom. And I think, okay, you know, your emergency, your lack of planning <laughs> is not my emergency, right? Um And so really getting clear on the rhythms of that and you, I will, this is a hill I will die on. You cannot be, however you identify, a CEO, a business owner, a founder, you cannot build a business in a reactive state. Yeah. You just can't. So what have you done for that? Have you bought back your time with outsourcing have you increased prices so you make enough money like what what is something that somebody is in the start phase where they are truly saying this is all great and dandy how do i just get something off my plate so i can slow down what do you suggest that's where i would say the first bit is sit down and actually brainstorm it all out like actually do your mind map or whatever it is that suits you your post-it notes so that you can see it all because when you're in the overwhelm, you can't even see what you can get rid of. And it's only when you actually really plan it all out going. So like, I won't say I came to this totally naturally. Part of this happened during the PhD because I was so busy. I had very young kids. Like I started the PhD when my, I mean, from maternity leave on my second to the PhD. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a hack or a tip and a trick we want you to take from this. Okay, good to know. Don't take that for productivity, okay? But so what it taught me was though, when you sit down to work, you have to work. Because actually, when you're not there, you have to be available for 20 other things. And I had a lot of other things going on. Like my dad got very sick. So like other things happened as well. So I literally had no choice on it to go, okay, when, when are you working? Like, so if you work for four hours in the day and that's all you can work for, you have to be really productive okay. in those four hours. So it taught me, because I used to have this sense of like, oh my gosh, but everybody else is doing so much more. Okay. And then I realized, 
Ooh, are they actually? It took they a long time be. to realize that. They might be. But hours doesn't equal productivity. This was what I realized that actually they sometimes people were doing five times the amount of hours, but that didn't mean that they were actually achieving the same volume of work. And that when the when that realization occurred, it was like, all right, okay. And I don't think I went into it with such clarity of that I brainstormed it out. But I actually did because I had to sit down and go, okay, what's my first study? What's the first part of this piece of work that I have to do? What's the sequence of this overarching project? How do I actually break this down into my PhD was by publication. So I had to have four publications and I had to have a policy brief. So and what's the bit like that's over? So. For me, I've always kind of looked at things as project management yes. and like, okay, here's the project, but now what are all the, like, you'll have three to four projects within each one. And then how do you break it down then into this, the project, this, all the tasks that need to be done. So sit down first of all, and actually brainstorm out. If you're at that stage where you're like, going, I'm barely making ends meet, then you've got to look at, okay, what do I do every day? Like, what do I really do? Because the amount of OTs that I work with that will say like, oh, I'm doing an assessment. But then and I say to them, how many hours does that take you? And they're like, oh, you know, three hours. And I'm like, oh, really? Gosh, that's great. Tell me more about that. And I know I'm being sarcastic in my tone here. I love sarcasm. And I don't because I'm I've been that person, too. And I try to support people. So then you go, oh, yeah, I do it in three hours. And I'm like, right, tell me a bit more about that. now. And then they say, yeah, I see. So like it take, I'll send out parent questionnaires and, do that, and then I'll see the child and then I'll chat to the parent and then I meet them afterwards and do that. And I'm like, oh, right. So you do a consultation afterwards and before and then you do the child centered piece and you maybe talk to the school and you gather a lot of data. Brilliant. And that all takes maybe the bones of three hours to do all of that piece maybe maybe three to four and then I say all right again then when do you write it up and they're like oh yeah I hate the write-up piece and I'm like all right okay and the reasons why I ask this question is because I know the pattern of behavior people don't value the write-up piece and cost that piece of it in with the product they're just costing the piece of nearly your dinner coming and arriving on the plate Mm -hmm. versus that you actually had to buy the food first of all and then you had to cook the food and that took and actually you know you to prep the food before you cook it so then i get people saying how long does it take you to write a report and they're like oh maybe like two to three hours and i'm like okay and i'm like talk me through that and then people say well actually i score directly after it but then i write it so there's actually half an hour scoring then i write it but then i leave it and i come back to it and i review it and i'm like all right okay and the whole theme of it is that the reason why they work in that way is actually they want to produce a real high quality product and they need time to reflect Mm -hmm. on it synthesize this information but i'm like you then can't cost the product at three hours of the Mm face-to-face piece you have to actually cost of what you're doing so the reason why i give that example is because i went from having provided clinical supervision from 2012 and i had my pricing structure from then but i also had another public sector job so when you do something i think on the side there's a very different perspective to being a business owner of like <laughs> you're it like so you have to look at it so my pricing really evolved after the phd mm-hmm. um and not even just that, that's actually not fair when I set up on my own, because I did go back to another job in between finishing my academic studies and then setting up on my own for about eight to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I really realized this isn't for me. 
and it made me realize then okay if you want to pull in the same basic salary as a typical senior with the what we will call in ireland then you have to actually cost it but you have to pay employers tax prsi public liability insurance and you've also actually spent the last five years investing in academic studies so you took a huge pay cut for that and it made me really sit back and go you can't value that on you at 60 70 80 euro an hour you actually have to value that as like you know it is much more expensive it is 150 an hour because of all the time so i really try and coach people to look at not just this piece of like what i deliver to you in the moment the fact that it's good is because actually you've done all this prep in the background because you've this volume of knowledge clinical reasoning synthesis analysis formulation so you've to cost that as well that's your production line so i try and i think i've waffled too much there trish but that's no. how i try and like guide that process of yep. thinking around when you're at those early stages of it like of be really strict with yourself and try and take the emotion out of what you're charging Agreed. people yeah. and look at it pragmatically of like yeah. actually what salary do i need yeah. to earn So there's a reverse engineering your salary quality to that. There's a price for like you said, you know, what happens on the production line. There's a values outcome based pricing, which there's a podcast episode I have about that, which is you're not just pricing for your time, but you're pricing for the outcome. And what we yeah. wound up doing as an addition, uh and then I want to talk about project management for a second. What we did at Spring OT and people were really ticked at first was we had a flat rate for assessments and it was mucho dinero. You know, 5 years ago it was $850 flat. And Absolutely. I got expertise yeah. at telling parents about all of this extra stuff. Like we wrote it out. We were like reflection, scoring, you know, think I I can't remember the fancy words we used at this point, but we set it all out. And I would and we also included parent education time. I provided free babysitting. I got my kids to come to the clinic so they could babysit those yeah. children siblings whatever and then we would do this at night if we needed to so that the parents could sit and listen and i would say yeah it does cost you more and guess what we have a much better target to aim for you're going to save money in the treatment because boy oh boy oh. we completely understand your family and this is the bit that like i really try and get people to think about then when it comes back to complex intervention because actually you're not just providing an assessment you're providing psychoeducation oh, yeah. co- and coaching totally. and so try and think about the multiple components that actually there is assessment psychoeducation and coaching and i think that piece helps people to move from getting mm-hmm. stuck around yeah. the cost into actually no that family is going to walk away with three different outcomes they have an assessment now if they need that for educational purposes for whatever purposes they need they have it for that okay yeah. they also now no one understand their child and now you've also helped to tailor like i'm really passionate about like i hold both hands up here is i hate and i it's not i it's something that i find very tricky to work with is cut and paste recommendations i'm like i've never had them we it's never not had them my report Nope, I don't work that way. I don't work that way with other people. Agreed. So I'm like you got to cost the formulation and the synthesis because if you don't, you may as well just go to Pinterest or Instagram exactly. and the person can get it there. Yeah. But actually what families want is going, okay, 
actually how does that fit for me at home what does that mean like Mm -hmm. does that mean that actually we have to really tailor this goal to bring it right back down around feeding that actually the goal is that I can actually as the parent cope with my child becoming so distressed at just the thoughts of feeding and how do I regulate myself so I'm really passionate about going formally don't regurgitate your observations mm-hmm. around I saw this this and this the child did this this and this mm-hmm. sure none of us want that from a doctor I want mm-hmm. you to tell me so what do those blood results mean don't tell me my platelets are this because that's observation exactly. I want analysis and synthesis exactly. synthesis is your expert opinion around tell me how we're going to do this how will we co-design that in my household and the way I look at it is like people will pay for that because oh. actually that's the goal dust. That's what their child will flourish and thrive on. I agree. And it sits their family. So that's, but I'm also really, really clear on that product is not, or that service isn't from everybody, but this is who I work with. And I exactly. work with therapists that want to align that way. And if you want to provide more low cost assessments, that's great too, because there's a, there's a core to people that want that as well. That's what we and used that to refer them out to. Yeah, they're not ready for the coaching and the psychoeducation. So that's okay. But this is just knowing what I want to do. So I think when you think about productivity, you have, and that's the bit for me around values, you have to know your value, not monetary wise, but know your values as what you appreciate, what you strive for, what you hold as a non-negotiable in your practice or business. And then you can cost it. I agree. I agree. So that was our solution to increasing, right? We've talked about time or money, increasing money. And in fact, just as an addendum before we talk about, you know, getting, finding more time, we had one complaint, I think, in five years about the assessments. And we actually had a few, particularly people that, you know, were identifying as male or typically the dad in the parent couple who was coming to see us and they would say, well, where's the list of resources? Where's the list of recommendations? Like they wanted like, they wanted the report to be not just five pages, but like 10 because maybe they'd gone to a psychologist or they had a school OT or something. And I was like, well, those are, I would say that. I'm like, those are just cut and paste. Like I can fill it up, but nobody reads that. And I said, it's like, see this whole like recommendation it's not an appendices like it's actually like here's the recommendations and I've just spent an hour with you which is built into the cost of the assessment to explain this to you and then parents actually like really like that but they were so used to like this all these pages of like set a timer or you know again I'm speaking peds you know making sure they're sitting 90 90 90 at a desk and I'm like "Mm -mm." like if that's if that's what we want you to do we're going to tell you in the assessment so and you see, it was that's the piece around like having read so widely during the PhD. Um, Professor Iona Novak, she's a phenomenal lady in Australia. Um, she's got, she works in innovative cutting edge research. She's an OT um, with the Cerebral Palsy Alliance, and she's also aligned with she's partners with lots of other organisations as well. But I was extremely lucky to meet her face to face pre-COVID and I'd read a good bit of her work as well and one of the things in one of her studies she ran a clinical trial and in one of them was 
So they looked at the effectiveness of like, you know, which um, part of the intervention was most effective end of the assessment, right? And one of the things that stood out was the families who received the 10 minute phone call beforehand, before they came in for assessment to say like, it was just like, you're coming in for an assessment next week. What are your key priorities and important you need to tell me about it? Now, obviously it's not written like that in the paper. It's written much more academically, okay? So it's all about like engagement, goal setting. The families felt like they knew their child. But to me, that's all too about productivity. You, in a relational way, link with your customer, your client beforehand, so that you know what is their priorities coming in, so that you're more productive and that you're not delivering this like generic battery, that you're tuning right into what's the goal directed element of this assessment, whatever. And I think if we used more of our clinical skills on ourselves, we'd be way more productive rather than getting caught up in the noise of around like monetary value. It's like, actually, no, hang on me here. Think about this, like, how do you deliver intervention and then apply that to yourself and you'll be really productive. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, again, to get biznobby, we had a coda who answered the phone and took intake calls after me and I trained them for weeks and weeks. And it was because we did get so much information on those calls and because yeah. they were so invested in the process and we would quite literally say, oh, there's somebody less expensive down the road or there's somebody closer in your neighborhood or you're, you know, we're not really the fine motor place, like go here. But by the time they came in, we already had like a very robust picture yeah. of this family. And guess what? We also had, I had to pay somebody, like they were what we'd, we would call a revenue expense, right? Like, however, well, she's a revenue generator well. because she's bringing money into the clinic in the form of uh, clients. Absolutely. And also like you knew the value there. You said you spent weeks training her. So mm -hmm. it's like to me, I'm like, and that's where the research comes up, because like you spent weeks training her because you were like, actually, we have a value and a standard of how we mm -hmm. engage at a relational level with our clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want for everybody. Not a hello. How are you? It's like, all right, tell me a bit more. So mm -hmm. you everybody on your team was working in a therapeutic way your ads and you supported them you coached them and taught them how to do it and didn't assume that because it like it breaks me when people say soft skills i'm like no they're not these are like really complex skills that you have to practice and get good at so people that support on the like your maybe the main player they are like, they're actually your backbone. <laughs> they keep the whole thing together. So yeah. Well, and this this is a segue into time and then I want to start to wrap things up. Yeah. Again, that's an example of how you also buy back your time, right? You can't create more time and I don't want you working more hours. So no. what do we do with the four, six, eight hours a day that we've decided to work or less? And that is you know, outsourcing, buying back some of your time, automation, creating a system so that you're not constantly in your frontal lobes trying to think of how to reply to an email. Those yeah. are some things. Um, the other thing that I teach a lot in the, you know, 100K Club is about what is an actual task that has a $10 value versus a $10,000 value. So I'll take Canva because I slag on Canva all the time. You won't hear me say that I'm in Canva very often. And I have said it on the last few podcasts because there is a roadmap I have in my head that I need to get out. 
because it's more like you're here, getting here, go there. Like there's a mindset. Like I have so much information I want to convey. It's like an infographic, right? And I need to play around with it. But there's other times where I have like a list and I send it to a graphic person for $10 and I say, could you please make this up in an hour? That bought me an hour for $10. Absolutely. Versus, you know, things that you and you alone can only do in fulfillment. So again, from my coaching perspective, way back to the beginning, we were talking about like, I really want to enhance the customer service experience because I want, I know it's the best program. How can I make it even better? And additionally, what are other, and I think this is where we begin to lose some OT entrepreneurs because I feel that they think the top of the pyramid, the top of the org chart as a CEO is you still have to do it all. And that's not true. So no. it is finding out exactly what are the things and fulfillment's an easy one to talk about because 99% of us are still in fulfillment, even people that run, you know, seven figure clinics. But what are the things that move the needle? What are the actual $10,000 tasks? Do you know if a social media post in your business is a $10,000 task? It's not in mine, but you know what it is? Email. We get so many pieces of interest from email. You know what's another $10,000 task in my business? This podcast. <laughs> like people, first of all, they wouldn't want to hear from anybody else, but the amount of like, no, and trust it builds, the amount of incredible people that we meet, the amount of people that wind up becoming clients, the amount of ripple effect that we're having for people who never become a client, but go on and teach our methods. Like no matter what place or what kind of business you do, and that's, you know, something that I really drill down and we have a whole survey about it, et cetera. But how can you buy back your time with the return on that investment? Because I'm telling you, a $10 Canva image, if you are doing, because people think, oh, well, it's $10 I don't have. Well, then what are you going to replace it with? What is something and that it's is... an hour of your time. Right. Well, and that's a little, I, I feel a lot of OTs and I've done a lot of treatments in closets with a lot of duct tape. And yet it's, it's not just an expense. Like if it's an expense, what's the return on the investment? Like, is this going to be a graphic that you can use with your clients yeah. that will get them more implementation, right? More knowledge transference. Or can you replace that hour with something that is a $10,000 task? And I'm here to tell exactly. you that if that hour is at night when you don't open your computer and you protect your brain, that is also a $10,000 task because nobody can show up tomorrow and do what you do. Exactly. And that's the bit for me that I'm really passionate about with other people. It's like, if you don't actually self-care and get to bed at night and sleep, you can forget it. You can have the most amazing social media, but actually your poor old hippocampus is not going to be learning and retaining new information. So like for me, I outsource a lot, Trish. I, I do. I always have. Good. <laughs> I outsource where I can. Okay. I'll be really honest about it. Like, I have to give this lady a plug. She's based in Ireland, but I'm sure she'll work anywhere. She's called Sue Pannett. She is my website lady. So Good. this is my third website that I've designed in collaboration with Sue. And she's a gem. So Sue gets me. She's not an OT but she asks me all the right questions. And she'll say, I knew that language isn't good enough. That won't hit any CEO. And I'm like, oh, I agree. Because I don't really want to be doing that piece around, or sorry, SEO language. I'm like, 
can somebody else please? So For she sure. will say it to me and then I'll go and check it and I'll go, all right, okay, yeah, but I need that push from her. Um, or she helps me to stay on track with it. She also recommended to me um, a VA. So I, I have a virtual assistant that I contract as when I need. And he does a lot of what you would call $10, we'd call 10 euro email tasks, automated stuff that on my, I use Active Campaign. It's brilliant, but I don't want to, have to set up the whole workflow on the Active Campaign because that'll take me three hours because I'm so slow at it. So I'll pay him to set up the workflow. I'll give him what I want on it. And da, da, da. and yes, I have to send the time on developing the content and writing the content, but he'll upload it and do it all for me. And that's the bit that will take me three hours. So that's a good outsourcing. I use a software accounting system, mm -hmm. which is, and I only started using that this year, which I adore. So that does all my invoicing, quotations, but it also logs my account. So I can see when you talk about like revenue, I can see the streams of it mm -hmm. and I can do that way. And that's been a huge piece for me. That's really, that's really cut down. I can't even begin to add up the amount of time and $10. That was a lot of late night working in 2021 mm -hmm. on just right. it, like accountancy. <laughs> that was most of my evenings that's gone I use because believe it or not I don't think I have amazing grammar um my writing skills are good like obviously I've done a PhD but that bit that saves me time of when I'm not sure if I'll double check myself well enough so I use a program called Grammarly because it'll flag it to me and it's a good reminder so I love packages and programs that can automate delegate and delete get rid of something for me <laughs> that I don't oh, have to do it my favorite sayings thank so, you yeah. thank you for getting so specific we I think this might go on record as one of our longest podcasts maybe we've oh, great, burnt out everybody's hippocampus <laughs> because they're listening to us I know right like in the beginning you were like oh I love just listening to OT's chat and you were nervous are you still nervous by the way no because I think that's the bit once I start talking yeah I ease into it yep. and then like, yeah, I, like then I'm, then it's like, I get really passionate I about know, it. So do I. That's what I love about it. So, okay, let's dive into our questions so that we can give people, you know, unless they're going on a one and a half hour car ride, we want mm -hmm. this to somewhat be consumable content as well. It's so funny. Nobody's ever complained about the length though, either. Like, mm -hmm. It's anyways, I'm so shocked by how many people really do love this podcast. I'm so excited. Okay, so this is our rapid fire questions at the end. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest personal money splurge? Um I actually when I thought of this, I don't have loads. They're very yeah, no, most OTs like, don't. That's okay. okay. Apple AirPods. Um, mm -hmm. because I bought two other pairs that just weren't great to those. Um, I bought a new computer for myself this year um, and professional work clothes. Okay. Can I, can I just close? Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to just like, I'm going to push back a little bit. That's all business expenses. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it I is, it personal. Is. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, Trish. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, you see, in a way, these are all business. Okay. Actually. Last year, I went to Lanzarote to write a course. There we go. 
Okay, we can we can stretch that. You well, could argue that that's still business, but we'll stretch it. But actually, I had to do it. I didn't have it done. I was wrecked. I really need. I'm justifying it here now, um, and I shouldn't. Do you know what? Off I went on my own and had a lovely five weeks in the sunshine. Yes, I worked over there, but it was bliss. <laughs> is that in Italy? Is Lanzarote in Italy? No, that is one of the Spanish islands. Oh, beautiful. Um, I'm glad I yeah, asked. Yeah, it is quite close to Africa. It's always warm mm-hmm. in the winter, so mm-hmm. it's a good place if you're mm-hmm. living in Ireland to go in November. Well, I was going to say, there's an Irish tax as well. I mean, you do live in a country that gets a lot of lashing rain. I think there's times you need to go into the sun, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and say from it. about here on. That's it. <laughs> I'll meet you there, by the way. It snowed last week in October. <laughs> okay, so we've already covered your business expenses. Tell me where you have paid or unpaid help in your life. So the paid help is probably all of those bits that I actually just said to you, but I outsource. Mm-hmm. I will pay for all of those. Some of them are dear and cheaper than others. I didn't go for a cheap, like there's lots of like different websites where you can hire people very cheaply as um, virtual assistants. I didn't mm-hmm. choose that. I chose somebody based on, again, quality. I want to be able to give you the work quickly and you will be able to do it for me without me having to over explain it. Um, so I pay for all of those bits. I also pay for a video editor to do any of the video editing for my online modules and for the journal club. So any of those pieces around editing, any of that kind of stuff, I'll outsource immediately. I just don't do it. What about in uh, your life? Oh, in my life. Um, when you said the piece aren't unpaid, mm. that didn't sit well with me at all. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, that feels really kind of like crash like mm-hmm. crude and I actually put down for myself I was like no I have a social support network mm-hmm. I have an amazing network of women and my husband around me and always have um my family I'm really lucky they're fab like they are supportive like in multiple different ways mm-hmm. my husband's a star like I mean honestly he left me go back and do a PhD um and has always supported that uh, in multiple ways, in time and energy and support. Mm-hmm. And then friends. So I like on like paid help as well, like bits like, you know, yeah, I, you know, we have a cleaner who comes mm-hmm. and assists. But to me, that's so that, you know, another way of like, that means that I can have time with all those people that support me, exactly. that I'm actually there versus mm-hmm. so. To me, it's more around not about unpaid help, but just actually because I think you have to give. It's not about taking in that it's unpaid. You have to give back as well. Thank you have to be present to those people. You can't just take their help in an unpaid way and not give back. They have to. They you have to be present for them and turn up as well. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. You've made me realize another reason why I have such a smaller social circle these days. And I think it's because my bandwidth is less and I want to show up for people in the way that I want to show up for them. So hmm, now I don't feel like yeah. such an introvert. I now see another reason why I have a smaller social circle. Okay, last question. I have a magic money wand and I'm going to wave it and I'm going to put seven mm-hmm. figures into your business bank account. Don't tell me you're buying more AirPods. What yeah, no, no. are you going to spend it on? Travel. <laughs> Is that business travel? Because this is your business. Okay, okay, okay. Tell me, tell me. I know that I am 
really productive when I go away to lock myself away on a project. I am so productive. I can write a course in a week. I can come back really refreshed and restorative. So it would probably be so that I can actually develop multiple products, multiple courses that I'm passionate about and that I can pick and choose where I develop them because I know that works really well for me. Beautiful. Um, well, and it's it's one piece of productivity we didn't talk about. And I do have a podcast about that. And it is creating, in a way, a CEO retreat. And yeah. it is, what do you need? Like, so structure it. I know you plan for it. You treat everything like project management, including being a CEO. That was a light bulb moment for me. So being a CEO is like being the project manager of your business. And, you know, so not only, so I talk about taking that time away to work on your business. You're also talking about taking that time away to work on things in your business. However, if it is travel to work to focus then I agree and I think I've always done better when I go away and it makes me think in a more macro level Absolutely, I find I do better yeah. micro work at you know at home or whatever but please look into that those podcasts that podcast episode in particular mm. and again just gauge it like how do you need to work to you know people say like the Pomodoro method right like your 20 minute timer and then leave like this is like Pomodoro on steroids. Hey, is Pomodoro a Spanish word? Could we say I that am. it is? Okay, let's uh, say that it yeah. is and it ties into you going to the Spanish islands. Okay, because I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I just made a link that might not exist. So I think that's really, you really have tripled down on knowing how you work, knowing the difference between a task and a project, knowing the difference between like, client facing and, you know, development and fulfillment and, you know, investing in outsourcing, etc. Like you've bring up, you've brought us far more. This is why I don't like tips and tricks anymore, because I think it's too, it's not, it's not deep enough. And OTs always talk at such a level of depth. And you've, you've mm -hmm. done that for us today. So thank you so very much for being here and for, for helping us all out and for being so open to sharing everything that's happening in your business world. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Trish. Thank you. Anya, before we say goodbye, if people want to find you and learn more about your work, how do they do that? They can check out my website. Um, obviously, that's not probably the most interesting, but, you know, I think we prefer social media. But my website is um, radianceconsulting.com. Radiance Consulting Hub. Apologies, radianceconsultinghub.com. Um, and on that, then also on Instagram at Dr. Anya O'D. And for anybody who's not Irish, Anya is actually spelled A-I-N-E-O-D-E-A. And it's the same link on LinkedIn. I'm not as active on Twitter, but I'm there and I'm Anya O'D there as well. And then for, yeah, they're kind of the main bits. You will see me post a lot on my website and on social media in the next few months because we have, in, I have in collaboration with other OTs um, nationally, we're going to run a participation summit. So a summit for allied health professions on how do we enhance participation to enhance engagement, well-being, quality of life outcomes for children, young people and their families. And yeah, that's coming up next year in March, the end of March. It's a live event. It's an actual face to face two day event. 
and it's not your standard conference. It's all workshops. So there's only four workshops. Each workshop provides like, yes, of course, the presentation piece, but then lots around, as you said, you don't like the word tips and tricks. It's actually lots of interaction around mm. how would you do, how do you put this toolkit into your practice? And yeah, I can't wait for it, Trish, because there's two ladies presenting on sensory connections and they've done lots, I mean, so much training in America with Stephen Porges. Mm. There's a lady who's trained in eco-sensory practice. There's another OT, Bridget Long, who's just, she's a guru on child development. So she's going to look at untangling the complexity of child development and actually these everyday strategies that we use, how do we do it? And then I'll do a workshop on using coaching skills in practice. So yeah, that's my next exciting project that I need to put time and effort into. Which you will do <laughs> productively, no doubt. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you had feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time. <laughs>